Hello. Hello. Hi. I wanted to see. I have two microphone options, and I this is just my phone one, so I can switch if need be. I wanted to come in early and see what would be best for you guys. Oh my God, you're Oops. already my most favorite um, podcast you're the guest. Favorite guest we've had in seven <laughs> years. No one's ever done that before. You're, yeah, you're welcome back every week. That's right. <laughs> Recording in progress. Welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Sorry, do over. Wasn't ready. Okay. Hey, right. Sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Now I'm ready. Okay. All right. All right. See, this is all the sausage is made. Okay. Stop. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. <laughs> oh, hey, this is. Of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. I am Ryan Flurry. Hello, the man. The man of many voices. Were you? Was that you trying to in, imitate Steve? That was me. No, I know it was you, but it was. <laughs> you. Well, that was your question. Was that me trying to imitate Steve? Yes, it was me. Yes, it was me. Okay. All right. <laughs> I hate you some days. <laughs> some days? <laughs> Most days. It's fun we record. No, it's fine. Oh. Uh, well, hey, how are you? Oh, well, wait, we should mention that, uh, yeah, we do not have a Steve Barkley or a Liz Malone with us uh, this week because they are... Uh, Busy. Yeah, they're busy and on and or on still on vacation, I think. So, or maybe they're just busy. I'm not. I'm not even sure. I can't even keep track of their schedules at this point. But uh, it's just me and you. That's okay. That's all we need. We need mics. We need an internet connection, and we need me and you. And we have a show. And There's usually a, we need a guest. Usually, usually a guest hey. helps for sure. We've tried without a guest, and it's a failure. Anyways, how are you? You know, I was thinking about that question because I knew you were going to ask it today. Oh, well, good. I'm glad you prepared. I did prepare, finally. Okay, you know, well, then tell me. All right. Well, I was thinking, you know, it's been really warm out here in British Columbia. It's summer. It's hot. I'm very thankful. I've got a roof over my head. I've got a wife. I've got pets. I've got guitars, instruments, music. Life couldn't be any better. We live in a time where we've got so much access to information, music. It's just a great time to be alive. Uh, did uh, did someone shoot you with a tranquilizer dart <laughs> or something? Did, are you okay? Like this is the same guy that yes, last week you were talking about storming the legislature and. Well, setting, setting the, the parliament on fire well it's not the new month yet so ryan's rant is still a few weeks oh, I see. So all right we got okay time. well no this is good <laughs> I, I i like this kinder gentler more mellow uh ryan look Aww, at that look at that yeah it's a new leaf is it okay well we'll see how long this leaf <laughs> turned over on this side for 
time will uh, tell. Okay, well, Lee, I'm glad, and I would I would tend to agree with all of that. We do live in a pretty amazing time. Although I I will rant. I, I here's two things I'm sick of: climate change and reboots. <laughs> reboots. <laughs> Tired of them rebooting everything. Stop rebooting things. Just think up new stuff. Well, and, uh, and there's just no originality anymore. It seems right, especially with the mainstream industries, whether it's the big box office, the same artists we've heard for, for decades. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of creativity happening, it seems. So yeah, I hear you there. Yeah. There you go. See, I knew, I knew it. This is a short leaf, but, but Ooh. okay. Damn it. Going back to my little thread on music. We have so much more access now to independent artists who aren't signed by big labels, who are doing amazing work in any genre of music you're looking for. So I say, get out your pocketbooks, get out on Spotify, find all this new music, because there's a lot of great stuff out there. Screw the Beyonce's, the Ed Sheeran's, look for the indie artists. Uh, well, so that, and you must've been thinking up that segue for quite a while. Cause that's, that's a pretty good segue into talking about, uh, what the heck we're doing today. I've been thinking about this for, I don't know, six months, three okay. months. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're putting my, uh, preparation to shame. Well, why don't you tell the fine folks at home, uh, just what the heck we are doing today. Cause I'm very excited about today's show. Excellent. Well, today we have singer, songwriter, music educator, independent artists i'm going to say i could be wrong but we'll find out soon our guest is the one the only precious perez hello precious hi that is correct i am an independent artist Ooh, i got it right for once <laughs> excellent good that, to be here that three months of preparation really paid, paid off, off. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Sure did. all right <laughs> So glad you could join us. We, we're excited. We, we've, we've actually been trying to uh, line this up for quite a while. Uh, so we are so thrilled uh, to be able to have you on the show. So why don't we just get the ball rolling? Just give us a little bit of a, a background on who you are and anything else you want to tell us about. My name is Precious Perez. I am a Hispanic woman with dark curly hair and I am a singer, songwriter, music educator, multi-instrumentalist, uh, published children's author. Um, and I am membership chair of a coalition called Ramped. So clearly, what I think what you're trying to tell us is that you just need more to do. You clearly, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Clearly Always. bored out of your yeah. tree. Um, <laughs> why don't we start with talking to us a little bit about about the music and, and the, sort of your music background. Was this something that you were always really into as a kid? Yeah, so I was given an Eminem CD and a J-Lo CD when I was five years old for my fifth birthday. And that wow. kind of kick-started. I think I also had Mariah Carey's Emancipation album. Like I, Those were like the three that I remember at that age, like – having access to and I grew up a, around a lot of music my mom listened to everything from like hip-hop to R&B to like obviously Latin music salsa reggaeton all of that stuff the, the things I always say the genres I wasn't as exposed to as a kid were classic rock and country those are things I'm still learning about today um but 
I had a lot of music around me growing up. My family loved music, and I had, like, this karaoke machine that I was gifted, and I used to just record myself on cassette tapes singing along <laughs> to, to the radio. But I was painfully shy as a kid, um, so I wouldn't sing in front of people, and if I did, it was very, like, soft and very quiet. But my music teacher in first grade was like, wow, you have a really nice voice. And I just stayed in school chorus, you know, throughout elementary school because I loved it. I loved singing and, you know, I hadn't really sung solo until middle school. I started doing talent shows and little open mics and things like that. Started writing songs in, I would say, I wrote my first, like, song that was not very good when I was 10 years old. Um, I still have that somewhere, but it's uh, very cringy, and I uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel anymore about that one. Um, but you got to start somewhere. So um, I always say I wrote my first good song when I was in eighth grade. Um, and it's the one disability song that I have, actually, that I have out. Um, it's called Different, and it, and it talks about, like, how do you feel when you're different? And, like, you know, do you feel alone? Like, you know... Just because you're different, I know how you feel because the spotlight's on me too because I'm different and like, you know, this is how people treat you but you're not alone kind of thing. And it's very like positive. Um, and so that was probably the first real song I'd written. And then in high school, I actually got a scholarship, a full scholarship to get private lessons for four years through the New England Conservatory um, in Massachusetts. And I also got to be part of an ensemble, and this was all through the Handel and Haydn Society, which I ended up working for for, for a while. So full circle, kind of wild, mm -hmm. awesome. But um, <laughs> it kind of solidified the fact that I music was something I wanted to do and I was going to pursue it. And I didn't quite know what specifically I was going to do until it, my junior year of high school. And... I always thought I was going to do music and English because I love like colorful language and poetry and things like that. But I soon realized that after taking AP literature, that uh, analyzing literature properly was not my thing. I just wanted to write. <laughs> so um, my love of, of English and uh, poetry kind of turned into songwriting, but I realized in junior year, like, wait, I can do music education and performance? Like, I can do those two things that are both music-related at the same time? Yeah, that's what I want to do. Because I've always had a passion for teaching, um, whether it be, you know, other blind students or other people. Um, and I always, you know, wanted to do that as far as, giving back to the communities that gave to me and being able to give the same resources and the same education and the same passion that was put forth toward my education so that I could get where I am. So I knew that I wanted to do those two things, but I was primarily wanting to pursue my artistry. Um, and so when I applied to colleges, I applied to, I forget how many schools it was, but what's funny is that Berkeley College of Music wasn't even on the list that I initially had. I was like, nah, everybody wants to go to Berkeley. I don't want to go to Berkeley. I was trying to be rebellious about it. <laughs> and uh, everybody was like, you know what? It's right there. You can probably get in. Just try it. 
So I said, okay, you know, it's in my backyard. Sure, I'll try it. And I ended up getting in. But I got in with a minimal scholarship package. So, like, I want to say a little over a quarter's uh, coverage of tuition. Which, at that point in time, it's increased slightly since then. It was like $60,000 annually. They were giving me about 17. So I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford this. And uh, ended up getting a full ride to another college. Um, and was trying to convince myself that that's where I needed to go because it was more cost effective and I it would be okay and I would be happy and it would be fine. My heart was not saying that for real, but I felt like that was my only option until one of my teachers convinced me to write an appeal letter. She said, all you can do is try, and if you really want this, just write the letter and see what happens. So with the help of my aunt looking over it and myself uh, and, you know, my mom, I wrote this appeal letter kind of explaining my situation and, you know, how money was the only thing keeping me from following my dreams, this, that, and the other, and... Uh, What's insane is that the day before I had to decide which school to pick, I get a call saying they're giving me enough money so that I can, with the scholarships I already had, go to Berkeley with minimal loans at the end of it. Wow. And it was the craziest night, one of the craziest nights, because I had already convinced myself that I was going to go to this other school and it was going to be fine. So then I was like, but wait, do I want to go to this other school where I'm going to be slightly in debt? Which, um, looking forward from that moment, I got more scholarships and I was able to graduate debt-free. So I'm very grateful for that. Hmm. Um, and I didn't know that then. So I was like, well, I'm still going to have to pay for college. But when you think about it, $10,000 a year versus how like 20,000 was going to be a game changer. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want a contemporary program. I want the ability to grow my voice, not just in the classical realm, but in the belting realm and the pop genres, all these different things that I wanted to do. And I wouldn't have had access to all of that without Berkeley. Um, Berkeley has its issues. Don't get me wrong. Um, I've had my fair share of discrimination of struggling of having to advocate and fight through all of that just to graduate in my specific major of music ed um, performance was fine that wasn't an issue it was the music ed that you know being the first blind person to go through that program at that school they didn't really know what to do with me so I was proving mm -hmm. myself until the very end but with that being said I like made so many friends that um, that I I'm going to have forever. I had so many experiences. I got to study abroad in Valencia, Spain, and that was amazing and um, really helped me grow as a person and as an artist. So there's a lot, you know, with everything, there's good and there's bad. But my career really jump started, you know, a couple years into Berkeley, and I've just kind of been riding the wave. <laughs> right. So I want to circle back just just for a minute, because you are partially sighted or blind. So, you know, can you explain a little bit about what your your vision level is, and then maybe 
discuss a little bit about, you know, some of the adaptions or accommodations that would have had to have been made for you to take a program like you did? Absolutely. So I am totally blind, pretty much. I have light perception out of one eye, which, you know, is not very useful in most cases. Um, but <laughs> so I read Braille. I um, also use screen readers and, you know, I use voiceover on my phones, uh, either JAWS, NVDA or voiceover on the Mac and Windows, various mm. things. Um, I do read Braille music as well. Okay. Um, and so when I went to Berkeley, the cool thing about Berkeley and probably one of the greatest resources was the assistive, assistive technology lab that they have. And so the assistive technology lab is designed specifically for blind students. And the professor there, Chi Kim, he teaches all of us how to use all of the software that we need to be successful going through our curriculums. Mm. So he taught me. Pro Tools, he taught me um, Sibelius, which is a music notation software. He taught me how to even build my own website so that I could, um, back before, um, the, part of scholarship requirements used to be that you had to have a portfolio. They changed that since, but the portfolio is what got me started and got my artist website to where it is now because I just kept adding to it and here we are. Right. So, um, a lot of it was the building blocks for my foundation um, and being able to be successful. Um, he taught me, you know, we could take his class as a class in our schedule and he teaches us whatever is relevant. So now students are learning how to use logic because it's mm -hmm. more widely used and a lot more cost effective and a, and a lot more people are using it. So he's teaching logic and he just kind of tailors to what each group of students needs. Um, and for any individuals, if there's something specific they need to learn, he's got office hours available. Um, I'm very grateful for that resource. They also have a work study there that um, converts printed materials and music into a format that we can access. And that's something that, I mean, the majority of, it, it's not a common thing for that to exist. Um, in an institution, let alone like <laughs> this specified of one. Um, so that was one of the big things that really drew me to Berkeley was the assistive tech lab and the fact that I would have that support sure. um, moving forward. And so that was a big help. They also have um, some of our theory books in Braille available at the library. So they had ear training they had our harmony book. Um, the ear training was really helpful because what that is, is you have to read rhythms and melodies and like memorize them and um, recite them in class along with your classmates if you're seeing them for the first time. So I was actually able to pull out my braille copy and read along and, and um, articulate those. And so that was very helpful. Um, a helpful skill for me to have and it was also a helpful thing um, for them to have available to me and to other blind students. They also had an online um, book for um, theory which was fantastic. Um, so if you didn't use Braille music you could use the audio version. Oh cool. Um, you know it's interesting we, we've talked to quite a few people in post-secondary on the show over the years. And it always never fails to shock me just how 
inaccessible some post-secondary institutions still are um, even today. And I really think that that's a, that's a huge problem because, um, you know, here we are complaining about um, being having inclusive hiring practices and having people with disabilities out there in the workforce, yet our post-secondary institutions, a lot of them are still inaccessible in a lot of ways. You know, the, the barriers to, to get into certain programs because they just assume, oh, well, geez, somebody who, who's blind couldn't possibly do this program. And they just don't bother to try to adapt it. And I would argue that absolutely almost every single program can be adapted. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it's ridiculous. And even, you know, you saying that you, you were the first um, blind student to make it through this program. That's shocking to me. Like, I, I can't believe, you know, with, within music education that, that, you know, it, when in 2022, um, somebody else hadn't done that before. And that was not without its own barriers either, which is insane sometimes because I had wonderful professors. I was lucky to have professors that, you know, even if they didn't know what to do, even if they had never worked with somebody like me before, it was, okay, you tell us what you need. It was the administration that I really had trouble with. Um, there were about two or three interviews before they let me have my major interview. And then my interview for the major was 15 faculty in a room asking me how I was going to adapt this or that and how I was going to be able to do the XYZ. And my response was, well, you're the teacher. So you teach me how you know how to do things and I will tell you how I can adapt them. But those aren't answers that I have for you right now. Yeah, All I mother. have is that we're going to figure this out and you're going to have to do that. Wow. That's crazy. That is really crazy and angering yeah. actually. I have had my fair share of laying on the ground saying, I'm going to drop out. I'm done. I'm over it. You know, it wouldn't be so bad if I just left right now. <laughs> but, you know, the other side of the coin is if you would have chosen the other school, you may not have had access to the same resources you had at oh, Berkeley. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 That is absolutely the case. I, you know, I, I don't think I would have been as happy at the other school looking back. Um, and I'm very grateful that my path um, led me to where I am and where I ended up. You know, I, as much as I went through mm -hmm. at Berkeley, I don't regret it because it's paving the way for anybody after me who wants to do what I've done. That's just what I was going to say. Yeah. It really does highlight, you know, a, a real problem um, with it. And it's, you know, honestly, it's the same way up here in Canada. Um, you know, our, our universities, you know, we have the same problems. It's frustrating because you know how many other people are out there that maybe want to take a similar path, but they just, they don't have access to the right school or they right. can't get into the right school. And sometimes it's even like a lack of support, a lack of advocacy skills, a lack of resources. I grew up with a lot of resources that a lot of blind students, you know, it's not a common thing for a lot of blind students to grow up with, um, you know, devoted TVIs, teachers with visually impaired, orientation mobility instructors, teams of people that are there to support you and make sure you reach your goals, not the other way around, like reaching the goals that they think you should be at or reaching what they think you should be capable of. I had the services that I needed from a young age, and I'm very grateful for that, but I also know that it's not the same story for a lot of blind students, or, you know, even just around the country. Yeah. 
So I am lucky enough to have grown up with the support um, and the mentoring to learn how to advocate for myself so that when I ended up in these situations, I was able to fight through them. Not everybody's able to do that. And that's not always a fault of their own. It's, you know, fault of the systems or, you know, the fact that they didn't, they never had to do, do this. So how would they know how? Um, and it's just, you know, there's a lot of factors that contribute to that. I keep telling Rob on, on these episodes, we need a disability uprising. You know, oh, we, we definitely we're do. the quietest, largest minority in the world. <laughs> also the minority that's not talked about. It's the minority that basically people, society in general thinks doesn't exist. The only minority that's not talked about in any diversity conversations yeah. and in any minority conversations. And it's, it's ridiculous. Like disability is such a huge part of, you know, the population generally and mm-hmm. also like people that grow older end up becoming disabled there's a lot of you know there's a lot of things that can happen to anyone at any time but people look at disability as this first of all this bad word yeah like oh disability i can't say that and second of all like it's this whole like pitying thing that oh man i could never be disabled or I don't know how you can do these things as a disabled person. Like, oh, you're broken. No, I'm not broken. I am who I am as I am. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, it really does make you think because you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's a very unique minority um, when we talk about disability because it's one of the only minorities that anybody can enter into that community at any point in their life. And mm-hmm. honestly, if you look at the statistics and you think about it, the likelihood that you're going to is pretty high. Like eventually, you know, vision fails, mobility fails, um, you know, just, just in terms of aging, let alone, you know, anything else that, that could happen. So I think that, you know, it's just this weird human nature that we have that we want to bury our heads in the sand and not think about things that are uncomfortable mm. or that we were afraid of. And I think that the, the way that people don't want to engage with disability, I think it really just comes down to fear. People are afraid when they, when they yep. look at somebody who's blind, they're, they look at them and, and they're, that scares the shit out of them because they're, they're afraid just of like, what they don't know. They're afraid of what they don't know, but they're also afraid of that could be me. I, what if, what if I went blind? Like, and it scares them and they, and so there, there's this real resistance, I think, to engage and to learn more. That's my theory anyways. I could be completely wrong. I'm just sort of armchair philosophy. <laughs> but I really I do. But, it's, but it is something really super weird because you would think that if we were smart, we'd be like, you know what? Let's make the world the most accessible place we can possibly make it because we're all probably going to need that accessibility at some point in our life. I and yet we don't. People don't think that long-term. Like, I feel like a lot of it is, well, this system works for the majority of people. So I don't want to have to do all the work to go and fix it or change it. So you're just going to have to deal or, you know, unfortunately yeah. for you, this is the way the world is and you're going to have to deal with it. And it's really, it's really just frustrating and upsetting that, you know, we're seen as less than people because we have a disability. You're treated as if you can't speak for yourself or as if you don't know anything just because you have a disability. 
can you tell us a little bit about about Ramped, which is uh, recording artists and music professionals with disability? Absolutely. So Ramped is a phenomenal coalition doing great work for disabled artists in the music industry. So um, our mission is to promote inclusion, elevate disability culture, and advocate for accessibility within the music industry. So Ramped was founded by Lachi. She's an award-winning recording artist and Vice President Galen Lee. Um, and I am membership chair. So what I do is kind of help bring in and vet new membership for the new classes every year and help build community within the organization. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Um, Ramped gives us the ability as disabled artists to not only uplift ourselves, but uplift each other through Ramped and through the community and through what we're building. And disability culture, it's normalizing wheelchairs and canes and disabled bodies and disabled people, disabled artists as we are as ourselves having that representation front and center and you know having people see that notice that realize that it is a culture and it is a community and disability is not a bad thing or a thing to be ashamed of or you know to pity um a lot of us in ramped what we do is we advocate for disability and we are proud of our disabilities um and that's important to say because, you know, a lot in life, you know, in general, they tell you, like, with job interviews, with anything, be confident. As disabled people, you know, and advocates, it's hard sometimes to feel like, you know, to, you know, we've all been there where we've had that moment of, oh, man, like, how am I going to do anything, this, that, and the other. But what's important is that you come out of it and realize, like, I'm a person and I'm a disabled person. For me, I'm a blind person. And I'm proud of being a blind person. I do things differently, but I do them my way. And I don't do them any less well than the next. So it's really uplifting each of our communities and our cultures, all disabilities within the music industry. Um, and also an important thing to note under the umbrella of general accessibility is venue accessibility making sure that award shows and concerts have wheelchair access ramps on stages so that people can go on stage who are in a wheelchair um, ASL and captioning for deaf artists and deaf audience members audio description for blind audience members and blind artists representation on screen for disabled artists and just in general um, self-description. So what I did at the beginning of this podcast was say, you know, like how I generally look and, you know, you can always, um, self-describe is meant to be short and sweet and it's an interactive way to give a window into someone's personality. You can say what you're wearing or you don't have to, um, but it's a really interactive and fun way for uh, blind people to really interact with what's happening visually. Um, and it's it's a great tool and that's something we really encourage and we really push and ramped and you know as part of you know award shows and any consulting that's done 
making sure that they know that self-description should be incorporated. Um, and when we do any kind of speaking events or anything as RAMT members, because there are professional members, um, one I'm one of a of these professional members, um, in addition to being membership chair, so sometimes we do speaking things and presentations and we self-describe before we do them. Um, there's a lot of different factors and different things that goes into advocating for overall accessibility because accessibility means so many things. Um, given how many disabilities there are in the world um, and just nationwide, we have all kinds of disabled artists and we advocate and aim to advocate for as many as of these communities as we can because it's important to uplift all disability not just blindness not just wheelchair users not just deafness everything even non-visible because there are non-visible uh, disabilities that are not physical that can't be seen chronic illness all these different things that maybe aren't visible when you look at somebody, but they're dealing with and they're battling with it. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing about, uh, about Ramped. Looking at their website, you've got, like you mentioned, you know, people with various disabilities, all disabilities that are producers, arrangers, singers, songwriters, arrangers. I think there's record labels um, that are all part of that community. So what has, like, well, I guess first, how long has Ramped been around? And are you guys in communication with mainstream labels? So we are essentially a resource. Um, Ramped is here to, you know, as a directory. So anytime anyone comes to Ramped and says, let's hire, we want an artist that's in this area. Or we want an artist that's specifically this. Go to our membership directory and hire someone. Because Ramped does not book artists but we elevate each other and push opportunities to professional members and ramped recently launched in january so we're fairly new mm -hmm. but we have article features in the new york times in forbes and all these different areas that we've been able to advocate for and get into um, some of us are now in the recording academy as members um, I'm in the new class this year, which is very exciting. Um, and so a lot of what we do is advocacy, but also making sure that organizations know that all of the artists in Ramped are paid professionals. So we're professional at what we do and we deserve equal payment just as our peers within the industry receive. Right. So that's a big part of what we do um, and what we make sure that organizations know. We're really big on partnering with different organizations, whether it's, you know, for consulting for their shows or um, to help uplift our mission and theirs. Um, so we have partnerships packages available for organizations that are, you know, want to include disability and want to make sure that they are um helping push accessibility in the industry um, whether that be labels who have opportunities for our members or disabled artists whether that be an organization who is doing uh, also doing an award show and wants ramped to consult all these different things we are trying to cover the gamut and i shouldn't say trying we are covering <laughs> the gamut 
and we are the only organization out there doing this right now. So are you guys international? It, it needs to exist. Yeah, we have members globally, so okay. there's people in the UK and things like that, you know. Primarily, a lot of, like, the executive people are based in the U.S., but right. we are definitely um, wanting to expand as much as we can. And, you know, things are growing pretty fast, so. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it's great because I didn't see anything like that in Canada, and I thought, wow, it'd be great. But, you know, if there's a recording academy that people can join international from around the world internationally, um, yep. you know, RAMP would be it. Yep, ramped is the uh, is there for everyone. Everyone who is a disabled artist, whether or anyone who wants to keep up with ramped, we even have a mm -hmm. mailing list that people can join just to stay up to date on what ramped is doing. Um, but definitely, I would encourage anybody who wants to be a member, keep an eye out. We have membership class um, applications opening up at the end of the year. So if you want to be a professional member and get more exclusive opportunities and be on committees, that's your chance. But otherwise, community mailing list, Discord, we are here as a support to uplift each other and disability and to be a resource for anybody in the industry looking to understand how they can make their organizations, their shows uh, more accessible and give disabled artists more opportunities because we should be on an equal playing field. Absolutely. And, you know, it, I, and I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, actually, this week. I think it goes even beyond that. I think the importance of, of having representation of disability in the arts is really crucial. You know, on the show, we, we, we talk a lot about, we talk a lot about stuff like accessibility and um, inclusion. And we sort of, we usually talk, talk about it from sort of a technical point of view right. or we talk about literal things like build environments and you know scream and yell about how you know how those aren't accessible and how we need to do better in in terms of universal design and all these types of things and and how educating the public is so important but it's just not happening fast enough right and when i think about it i i really and i think about the arts and music and acting and movies and TV shows, that's where you really are able to really make some changes fast. And the example that I always think about is look at autism and how far autism has come even in the past five years. But yeah. you know, let's go back 10 years. 10 years ago, nobody was talking about autism. When, when, whenever you know, you, the, the topic came up, they would just think of, you know, kids having screaming fits on the ground or like there was, yeah. there was so much misinformation around autism. It just wasn't, wasn't a thing, but it's through, uh, you know, obviously a lot of work um, with, with autism advocacy, but also it's, it's the shows that begin to, to hit the mainstream and begin to normalize the disability. Absolutely. That's where you actually start to get the education. That's where you get people actually understanding more. And I really think that that goes about all disability. That's that's For sort sure. of what needs to be happening. We need to to normalize disability. And I really really see that that can happen in a in a sort of a a rapid way through the arts. Absolutely. Representation is so important. And that's definitely another thing that we we work towards as far as making sure that we're represented on screen, that we're represented as artists. You know, 
on red carpets and doing these things and performing because it is important for other disabled musicians to see people that look like them being successful. Just as it's important for me to see a Latina musician out there doing something and like, wow, if she can do it, I can do it. It's, and you know, there are some of us that have intersecting identities like I do. And that's important. And representation really does make a difference. And it's like a domino effect because again, the more, the more represented you are, the more people are going to look at that and go, I can do that too. And exactly. they enter in and, and yeah, it's, and I really see that that's, the more that I think about it, the, the more I really, I, I think the emphasis needs to go on the arts. I think an important thing to note too, is that like as an advocate and as somebody who is um, pushing um, to the forefront, you know, my personal goal is to be the first blind Latina at the forefront of the Latin music industry. You know, people see blind musicians, they think Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. I'm like, okay, but where are the women and where are the Hispanic women? Like, yeah. <laughs> let's change that. And so I think another thing to note is that as disability advocates and as, you know, people pioneering things and working toward different things, it's important to stay grounded and to remember that there are people coming after you that want to do the same thing and that we should also be looking out for them and helping them up to where we are. Wow, no egos. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a change of pace, isn't it? I guess until you get your your million dollar paycheck and your Learjet, right? You know. <laughs> no, but you forget where you come from, right? Yeah, people do and and I think it's Im so important to not because no one gets anywhere alone, first no. of all. Anyone who says that is lying. <laughs> and yeah. Why wouldn't you want to give back and make sure that the next person looking up to you um, is able to take that path if they want to? Right. I think so much, you know, we take so little with us when we leave this world. Why not give some of our fortune back to it so that it can continue growing after we're gone? Because that's really the truth of a legacy. Yep, that's very true. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. Let's let's stir the pot a little bit because <laughs> I, oh boy, I, I, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Well, because I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know, people people with disabilities who are who tend to be high profile, their disability is really tied to their identity in a way that an able-bodied artist doing the same thing isn't. And my thought is, is is that fair? Like. You know, we think of Stevie Wonder, or we think of Ray Charles, and, and, you know, both obviously incredibly musicians, but they're also, you know, the fact that they're blind is sort of tied to that, to their identity in a way that it isn't with Elton John or Billy Joel or whoever. Mm. Uh, you know, does that, does that part ever bother you as a musician? Like, do you ever just want to be like, man, I just want to play my music. Like, I want to, I just want to be everything to be about my music instead of, you know, me having to sort of have this built-in advocacy built into the, all of this? For me, it's very deeply intersected. So I, um, you know, my disability is a part of me and it's a part of how I do my art and what my art means. And so for me, it shouldn't define me as an artist or me as a person, but it is part of that. So, you know, 
I, of course, want my music to be highlighted and my art to be highlighted and the fact that, you know, I, you know, if people think I'm worth listening to, it's because of the musicianship and not because of my disability. Right. But it is important and, you know, if I'm able to make that impact as a disabled artist and being known as that, along with my other intersecting identities of, you know, being a woman and being Latina and being low income and all these different communities that I represent, that's really what what gives me fuel to keep pushing for it. Because I'm able to uplift all of my communities and give them a voice and give them a platform that, you know, I didn't previously have and some people might not have. So for me, it's very deeply rooted and it all kind of intertwines. Well, so let me ask you this then. So growing up, when you when you really first built this love of music, mm. was that, and especially when you started writing, was that sort of, did that act as an outlet to sort of be able to process some of your emotions or some of the things that oh, you were yeah. going through <laughs> with, with your disability? And do you think that that had a direct impact on you choosing music as a career? I think it's it's the same for a lot of musicians. Like it's a, it's a huge outlet to be able to put something that my words can't say into a piece of art that people can relate to and that can take its own form once you put it out into the world. So I think for me, when I was younger, um, Taylor Swift was a huge songwriting inspiration for me. I learned how to write by listening to her tell stories through songs. And I think from there, I just took my poetry that I loved to write and said, hey, let's see if I can turn this into music. And back then, I didn't know how to play instruments. I didn't know the first thing about music theory and what chord and what key and this, that, and the other. I just knew what I felt. Sometimes I felt a, I, you know, felt a feeling, heard a melody in my head, uh, had some lyrics, and I would just sit there with my little recorder on my um, Braille note taker that I had. <laughs> Terrible speaker, by the way. Don't recommend if you're trying to make actual good recordings. Um, but that was how my first album came to fruition. Was when my teacher from high school pulled me aside and said, "Hey, I think you have a gift. Do you want to start a crowd, a crowdfunding campaign and make your first album?" And he connected me with his producer friend, who is still my producer today. And I'm actually going to record a new song with him next week. Um, And we managed to do that. And and so a lot of my first um, songs were pulled from those old, terrible recordings of me just singing with the lyrics and reading them as I was singing. And... um, you know, eventually I learned as I grew in my musicianship to accompany myself on ukulele. Ukulele is my favorite thing. It's, you know, I can play a little guitar, a little piano, but ukulele is really my, my favorite. Um, I can get around the others, but they just don't feel as natural, you know? Um, and so as I grew, I learned theory. I learned, you know, what's how to structure a chord progression and all of those different types of things and could accompany myself. But it really started from 
just having a feeling, writing it down, or pressing record and just going for it. And if it was good, it was good. If it wasn't, it wasn't. And I still have a lot of those old recordings today, and maybe someday I'll reuse them. I actually reused one of them and, like, completely rewrote it um, to memorialize my uncle who passed away four years ago on his birthday this past June. Mm. Um, and was it this past June? It might have been last June. I don't know. Everything's blurring <laughs> together at this point. Yeah. Um, but I took an old song that I'd written and completely just kept the melody and changed the words and like played it on guitar and it's a song I'm never going to be able to perform because it's just too emotional um but it's out there now and so it, I think it's really a journey and you know as I've grown my music's grown and it's just I've really written from a very personal place um and I'm very excited to explore writing for other people and you know, I'm in a new band now called Midair Decision, and we're working on our first single, and it's it's wild the experience that I was able to have taking everybody's ideas and putting it into a melody and just taking everybody's feelings and ideas and, and really putting that together in a way that um, summed up how everybody in the room felt versus just me. Right. And I'm excited to keep exploring that and to explore writing from other perspectives or for other people. And um, it's just endless possibility with songwriting and very exciting as far as like when I think about what's to come. And, you know, I don't really know what direction I'm going in next. I want to I want to write a Latin record um, and fully work toward that and more collaborations and things. But um, you know, there's a lot up in the air right now, so we're working on it. <laughs> well, we could definitely have a whole nother episode just talking about songwriting and the process, um, oh, yeah. the emotions, um, you know, the different styles of music, you know, uh, you don't really want to, I don't know what the right word is. You don't want to put yourself in a corner and stick to one mm -hmm. genre, you know, because, you might be thinking of a, a Latin song this week and a month from Next now, all week. of a sudden you're doing a country hit, right? Yeah, literally <laughs> I was, it was, it happened to me cause I've been like, Oh, I, I just bought like this new complete control pro tools software and MIDI keyboard and everything. And I was like, I'm going to get started. Well, that's not happening until after I move. It's just sitting over there because I just don't have the energy to set it up because there's no place to put it right now. So um, I was like, oh, you know, I've, I've gotten all these ideas and I wanted to work on a Latin record. Well, the other day, my friend and I were having a conversation via text and I fully got inspired, wrote the whole song and made the demo in like three hours <laughs> of this really like um, just simple. Um, I don't even know how to explain what this song is going to be, but it's really about like, you know, mental health and you know, I know you're struggling and this is how you're feeling, you know, but, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you that it's going to be okay, even though I've been through this, all, all of this, and I know, I know where you're at, but there are rainbows and butterflies, even if you can't see them today. Nice. That's like one of the lines in the chorus. I'm very, I was just so stoked because sometimes like, I can't force inspiration out of myself. <laughs> like, I just can't do it. I'm not one of those people yeah. that can just five minutes crank it out here you are it's a great perfect song like i 
I need to feel it. And if I don't feel it, it's not going to come out good. Sure. So I was so stoked when I got the idea that I was like, I have to do this right now because if I don't chase the ideas when I get them, they're very possibly going to go away. Right. So um, I was really stoked about that. And for me, like as an artist, I don't like to be put in a box. Like people have tried to say, oh, your voice is more R&B or it's too sweet for this or it's too. I'm like, excuse me. Have you heard me belt? No. Have you heard me do this, this, and that? No, I'm purposely versatile because I want to be able to do as much as I want to and lend my voice or whatever, my songwriting skills to whatever project that comes up. Like, I do not like to be thrust into a mold because I can't be molded. Like, especially as somebody with a disability, like as a disabled artist... I can't be molded into something somebody else wants me to be because I've had to advocate for myself. I've figured out who I am as an artist and what I need as far as accessibility, and nobody else can dictate that for me. Well said. Well, listen, I think that Ryan's going to have to uh, contract you out to write him a protest song. We're going to we're going to uh, have a chat. Ooh, if protest you, if you, if song? If I'm so yeah. here for it. Let's go. Let's right. do it. If you're willing to talk, I'll definitely reach out to you because. No, seriously, I'm ideas. always here mm. for. <laughs> All right. Yes, let's do it. Perfect. Thank you. What, what rhymes with burn down the legislature? We'll have, to, mm. we'll have to get out the rhyming dictionary for that one. We got this. We'll do it. It'll be great. <laughs> great. Uh, Ryan, I kind of felt like I hogged part of that there. So if, if any uh, any questions that you've got? No, nope, not at all. I'm, I'm going to talk to Precious offline. We'll arrange a, a chat Uh-oh. at some point. Woo! Um, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely want to. We know you have upcoming nuptials. We want to wish you all the best. Thank you um, so much. You and Shane for that. And where can people find you and your music? Yeah, so my website has all of my latest press coverage, anything like that. Um, all of my socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, PreciousPerezMusica.com. That's M-U-S-I-C-A dot com. My Instagram is Precious underscore Puerto Rican 20. Um, my Facebook is Precious Perez Musica. You can go to my artist page there. Twitter is at P-U-L-Y Perez 1. And then, of course, Precious Perez on Spotify and wherever else you stream your music on. And I think by accident I did PreciousPerez.com. I think it's available for sale. You might want to grab it. Oh, that one might have been expensive. I didn't even look for that. (laughs) I'll check it out. I'll check it out. (laughs) Grab it before the show airs next week. Right. (laughs) And uh, hey, listen, while we're consulting with you, maybe you can help us with our Instagram account. We suck at Instagram. (laughs) Oh, I'm down. I got you. Terrible. Terrible. (laughs) TikTok. How do you use TikTok? Oh, yeah. TikTok. Well, TikTok is, is is its own beast because it's sort of accessible, <laughs> but only if you can work to figure out the workarounds. And so yeah. far, I've only kind of figured out how to upload pre-made videos right. um, and scroll through and like videos that I watch. So, I mean, I'm not like a super huge TikTok user, but whenever I post something to any of my socials, it also goes up there. <laughs> so. Perfect. Yeah. Because we we have a whole plan. Uh, oh my goodness, a whole channel I have a TikTok for... and I always forget about my TikTok. Yeah. That's so oh, funny. Really? <laughs> yeah, I do have a TikTok. <laughs> it's also linked on my website. Same thing as same name as my Instagram. So. There you go. 
Perfect. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Precious, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. It's been a great time. Awesome. <laughs> so much well, thank you. And listen, anytime you want to come back, uh, we'll be happy to have you. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we there's like a ton more stuff that we could have, we could talk to you about. Oh, sure. So uh, please don't be a stranger uh, and come back. Sure will. I'm, I'm here for it. Let's do it. All right. All right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before you go, sing a little bit of the chorus to the dinosaur song. Ryan. Father the Okay. Just a I little bit. I can do bit. that. That just, I'm, I'm cracking up in my heart right now. I just want you to know that. Um, okay, okay. Baby dinosaur, close your bedroom door. Rest your weary head, it's time to go to bed. Baby dinosaur, close your eyes and sleep. Very nice. Very nice. nice. Very nice. Thank you I just love nice. that that's the most popular song out of all of my discography. Is the first thing that anybody sees. Oh, is it? Oh, that's awesome. Is the kids' song. And I'm like, wait, that's not all, guys. Well, it's not. My favorite song of yours is Language, but the oh, dinosaur song was thank cute. Thank you. I'm glad yeah. you heard that one. Oh, I've listened to just about all of them now. Yeah. <laughs> On Spotify. Well, listen, that wasn't nearly as bad as a baby shark. Uh, no. Don't worry. Way better. Way better. <laughs> so anybody can write a baby shark. <laughs> and they're making so much money right Aren't now. Aren't they? I know. True. <laughs> True. Baby so dino, dino, dinosaur. Baby dino, dino, there dinosaur. There you go. Okay, you make go. the rock version. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. right. I'm here for it. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah remix we'll talk oh my god you got connections <laughs> let's do it all right <laughs> keep in touch you betcha okay precious take care okay bye bye, -bye. Good night. bye. oh well that was great yeah there's so many directions we could have went in you know i know there was i we could so have literally talked to her for another hour i yeah. did i even i hardly got off half the questions that i had for her but yeah no it was good we didn't have her back such a talent holy cow that voice wow well definitely check out the ramped website um you know watch the video that's on their main page i forget how long it is it might be half an hour long or something but there's different personalities with disabilities on there and like i mentioned to you before some have worked with snoop dogg um you know other high profile artists as well um just a very very diverse talented group of of people with disabilities that are working to change the music industry yeah and i really do think that ramped is doing some incredible work and i'm heartened to hear that that even after such a recent launch um, they've made so much progress. Yeah. Um, I think that that is exciting because, you know, again, the more that I think about it, you know, the fact that we scream every week about accessibility and mm -hmm. just about, you know, being so frustrated, um, the arts, I think, is really the key. That's, that's where you're going to actually reach people. You can't legislate people to you know, be to more educated about, about disability. You have to, you have to hit them 
where they live, which is on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Disney plus Netflix, you know, media is, is allowing yeah. persons with disabilities or it's allowing the mainstream to almost accept the person with a disability on the screen as a normal member of society, right? Look, they yeah. are no different than me. They're doing the same job I do, or they're living the same life that I live. Like there yeah. is no difference. Yeah, that's right. And I think that that's the key. I think it's, it's normalizing disability as mm -hmm. opposed to showing that people with disabilities can do extraordinary things. Right. Like when you, when you get into like inspiration porn, that's, yeah that doesn't really do anybody any favors either because then you're you're putting way too much pressure on it we what we want to do is actually just normalize it and just make it so that it is almost invisible it doesn't matter right and because then and then the, the more that we realize you know people people with disabilities are out there and doing things and that they need adaptation and accessibility i think that all of that will come yep. with you know as as sort of part of the natural process of just acceptance and again, you know, society is changing. Values, attitudes are all adjusting. So we're getting there slowly. We sure are, because man, look at the look at the difference in you in a week. <laughs> I can't believe how positive you are. Um, you could clearly listen to a bunch of of Precious's uh, albums before the show. Or maybe it's because there's no Steve or Liz here. I'm in a better mood. Oh, maybe. Maybe I don't have too. to share the spotlight. Something I don't know. Something's <laughs> different this week. I don't know. <laughs> all right, well, it is. let's get out of here all right uh hey ryan rob hey, where can people find us they can find us online at atbanter.com uh they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at uh 80 uh, at atbanter.com and they can find us on facebook and twitter and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Can I tell you a funny story before we go? Yep. So I nearly died yesterday. Why? Um, like seriously, legitimately, like <laughs> I, I may have been close to death. Um, and the culprit was a granola bar. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I was eating this granola bar. It was one of these, like, I don't know, Nature Valley. It was really, it's like crumbly, crunchy, a lot uh, of crumbs to it, right? Yep. And I was, I was, I had a mouthful of granola bar. And I suddenly had to sneeze. And you inhaled and a part of granola or something? I, I did. I inhaled yeah. like a bunch of the crumbs. <laughs> and started and choking. then started coughing. And then I sneezed. I was coughing and sneezing. <laughs> and granola was exploding everywhere. And I was choking. Like it was a whole thing. And for like, yeah, like 45 minutes, like I was wow. still like hacking. <laughs> terrible. Jenny's like, you oh. can't go. Who's going to feed me? Yeah. Well, so just a warning to. Yes. Granola bars sure are hazardous. That. There should be a warning they, on them. There should be at least the crunchy ones. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, glad you're still with us. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, all right. Well, hey, that I think is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in. And of course, huge thank you to Precious Perez for joining us. And we will see everybody next, next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. 
That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 